turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 25, verse 27. And it says this. It says, the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was called Edom. And Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good's a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, then got up and left. So despised his birthright. So Esau. Last week, our message included a conversation between Abraham, the rich man, and Lazarus. The rich man found himself in a place he did not want to be. And he wanted to change his circumstances, but he found out that he couldn't. Today we're going to look at two of Abram's grandsons and examine how their attitudes, how their way of thinking leads to choices and how choices leads to consequences. Now, you know the story. Isaac and Rebekah have two sons. From the very beginning, you want to talk about sibling rivalry. They had a sibling rivalry going on. Scripture indicates that from the time they were in their mother's wombs, they struggled with one another. Unfortunately, their parents showed favoritism. As a result, this led to conflict between the two sons and a whole lot of dysfunction in the family. I don't know what you thought about Esau and Jacob. How many of you attended Sunday school when you were a kid? Your mom took you to Sunday school. All right. If you attended Sunday school when you were a kid, like, like I did, they had flannel graphs. You know what a flannel graph is? That's a, a little cutout picture. And if you were like a really good kid, they'd let you tear the cutout picture, put it up on the, on the little flannel thing. But growing up in Bedford, there's a certain mentality that you have. And so growing up in Bedford, I understood Jacob and Esau, and I didn't understand why Jacob kind of got away with stuff. You see, Esau was a hairy guy. And when I think of a hairy guy, I'm thinking like of my buddy back here. I see him smiling. Esau was a hairy guy, all right? He was a hairy guy, and he was a hunter. He loved being out in the wild, okay? Jacob, Jacob was kind of a mama's boy. Jacob liked hanging around and cooking with mom. Now, in Bedford, if you grew up and you wanted to hang out and cook with mom, that'd get you beat up, okay? If you were uh, growing up in Bedford, if you liked the home ec class, if you were signing up for the home ec class, you, you'd get beat up for that. That wasn't a good thing, okay? And out in Bedford, when you grow up, every, they take off the first day for buck season. They take off the first day for doe season. Every man, woman, boy, and girl back there hunts. So Esau was a good guy. Everybody could understand Esau. Esau was a man of the wild, as it were. I couldn't understand. Jacob connived. 
he was kind of a weasel. I couldn't understand why God would let him get away with stealing a blessing. I want you to notice this about Esau. The Bible describes him as a man of the open country. He was a man of the wild. He liked the wildlife. He did not want to be domesticated, and he didn't want to be tamed. On one particular occasion, he came in from the open country, and he was famished. So he asked his brother for some stew. His brother said, sure. And I imagine he may have even said it in passing. Sure, I'll give you some stew, but you've got to sell me your birthright first. Surely no one would be so foolish as to sell their birthright for a cup of stew. You see, the birthright was the special blessing that was given to the firstborn son. And it rightfully belonged to Esau. He was to receive a double portion of the inheritance. So if there were three sons, the inheritance would be divided by four parts. And the oldest son would get a double portion. Also, along with it, he would carry the family name serving as the leader, really the spiritual leader of the rest of his siblings. In that moment, he was hungry. And Esau makes a foolish decision and says, what good is the birthright to me? So he sold it to Jacob for a bowl of stew. And the Bible says that Esau despised his birthright. He treated it with contempt. He hated, as it were, he despised it. My birthright really means nothing to me. Throughout scripture, Esau is always portrayed as an impulsive fool. Someone who you don't want to be like. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, it says this. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, he wanted to inherit this blessing, but he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, He could not change what he had done. If Esau had taken just a moment to think about his inheritance, to think about what his father had in store for him and what was involved, any rational man would never have made such a rash decision. This could not have been the only food in the camp of a wealthy man like Isaac. It was merely the first food that Esau Saul. It was the first thing that that when he walked in, it was the first thing that he saw and he wanted it. You see, Esau was the favorite of his father. He could have easily gone to his father and said, hey dad, Jacob's trying to get me to give my birthright up for a bull of stew. And his father would say, no, don't do that. That'd be crazy. He'd call one of the servants and, and they would make a meal for Esau to satisfy his hunger. But he didn't want to wait. He wanted immediate gratification to his desires. He thought he had to have it right away. This decision cost him a lot, and it revealed something about his character. And you know, our character is what really God wants to get at, what's really in our hearts. The problem with Esau is that he did not value the things that were of true worth. His father loved him and had prepared a special inheritance. His father had planned for a place of honor for him, but he despised his birthright and he treated it lightly. 
He did not take into consideration how many sacrifices his father made so that he could have an inheritance. He didn't realize all the times that his father made right decisions and chose rightly and worked hard so that, you know, the Bible says that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. He didn't realize how many sacrifices had made a way for him to have this inheritance. He wanted what he wanted in the moment. There's a lot of people like that today. There are some people who will never get ahead financially. It wouldn't matter how much you give them. It wouldn't matter how much is entrusted to them. They will never get ahead financially because they can't handle what they're given. They'll see a little trinket and they'll say, I want it now and they'll grab it. But worse than that, there are people who are like that spiritually. They'll give up their spiritual inheritance. They will trade their soul for a bowl of stew. How many husbands and wives have you seen trade their marriage and their children for what they thought was a little excitement on the side? We see an epidemic of men and women who are trading their self-respect, a good job, the relationship with their family, a stable environment for their kids, for a bottle of booze or for just a few minutes to get high. And people want to label that an illness, a sickness, or a disease. My friend, it does have a label. It's called sin. And it is always terminal. The Bible says that sin, when it's full grown, it brings death. It always leads to death. No matter how you look at it, how you try it, sin always leads to death. But there's a remedy. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it says this, that then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, it's speaking of Jesus, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. If you really want to be his disciple, if you want to be his follower, you must deny yourself. Take up their cross and follow me. And notice what he says. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Notice this next phrase. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What advantage will it be for anyone who gains the whole world but loses their soul? What if the addict can get high every day for the next 30 years but loses their soul? What if the immoral person can be with a new woman or a new man every night but loses their soul? What if the greedy person can accumulate more and more wealth but they lose their soul? What if the stubborn, hard-hearted person can continue to hold on to their stubborn ways, but they lose their soul, what will it profit them? At that point, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? There will become a time when, like Esau, there will be nothing they can do. But that time's not now. That time's not now. The rich man who woke up in hell And he wanted to change things. At that point, nothing could be changed. It was said and done. It was finished. 
Unfortunately, there's some people today that they feel because of the choices they've made and the decisions that they've made and the circumstances, they sometimes think that, well, this is what my life is. This is the choice I've made. But friends, today, God's speaking to people's hearts and he's saying that that time's not now. Today. Today's the day that no matter what you've done or what you've experienced or, or, or the mistakes that you made, today's the day that things can still change because the Holy Spirit's at work in people's lives. You see, God values a soul very highly. In fact, he's placed an incredible price tag on your soul. What would you give? I want you to think about this. What would you give in exchange for your son's soul? You think about eternity separated from God. That's what we've been speaking about. We've been the past, this is our third week. When you think about an eternity of someone separated from God, what would you give for your son's soul? What would you trade for your daughter's soul? What amount of money, what amount of prestige, what amount of pleasure would you give up? And yet many times men and women put a price tag on their souls and on the souls of the people who they lead. They don't realize it because did you ever notice that when someone is paying for something, they always try to devalue it. I don't want to tease Eddie, but I'm going to use Eddie for a minute. Eddie's a very good car salesman, okay? Eddie could sell a car. My Acura, the transmission died, and I was going to get rid of it. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. What am I going to do with it? Do I want to put another transmission in? And so Christian said to me, Hey, you know, we were talking, and Chris said, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing with your car? And I said, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I might fix it. I might sell it. I said, well, what do you think it's worth? And whenever I said that, Christian has this mode. And I saw he kicked in this mode. And, you know, before he was like, yeah, well, I how many how many miles you have on it? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of miles. He, you know, he asked another question, and I watched this as he did it, and I, and I, I kidded him. I said, dude, you're good. You're good. Because everything I told him about the car, oh, yeah, oh, whew, whew. I, don't, I don't know if anybody would want that. Now, here's the thing. If he was selling the car, this car is sharp. This is nice. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? When someone's buying something, they devalue those things. Yeah, but this is wrong with it, and that's wrong with it. This is wrong with it when they're buying, but when they're selling, when they're selling something, oh no, I, I don't, I don't know if I could even let go of this car. This car has sentimental value to me. This has been a good thing. The Bible says that the enemy comes not but to steal, to kill, and destroy. He always devalues people. He devalues them. He tears people down. He's the one. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one who comes to you and tries to get you to sell at a low price. The incredible thing about God is, and, and I like to get a good deal. I always feel good if I get a good, if I find a place I get a good deal, I want to tell everybody else, I got a good deal at this place. They treat you good there. I, I had a good experience with this mortgage broker. I had a good experience with this car person. I, I had a good experience in this place or that place. If I can help someone, I like to do that, but... The Lord never, ever devalues people. In fact, he's the one who sets the price tag, as it were, upon your 
your life. And whenever he understood, whenever man sinned, God was quick to reply. The only thing, as he looked around his kingdom, he looked around, the only thing that could possibly compare with the value and the worth of your soul was the blood of the spotless lamb, his son. He did not come in and try to negotiate and lower the price. He did not play a game where I don't know if I really want it. He immediately sent his son to die upon the cross. He paid the ultimate price for your sin and for mine. Here, the scripture says this, for you know that it's not with perishable things, such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. When it came to purchasing your redemption and mine, God spared no expense. He didn't negotiate. He didn't waver. He didn't go back and forth. He automatically, willingly, said the only thing that can compare with Erica's value is the blood of my son, nothing else. All of the riches of heaven could not compare with her value. But the enemy loves to come and he loves to sell you on a stinking bowl of stew. He says, listen, I'll trade you. I'll trade you. How about this bowl of stew? How about this minute of pleasure? How about this recognition? How about this few minutes of vengeance. I'll trade you. So many times, unknowingly, we become fools. And because we somehow we believe the lie that, that our lives aren't really important and, that, and that, that we're not really valuable, that we really don't deserve something better. We say, I deserve to be happy. That's so much baloney. I deserve to be happy. And so we go out and do stupid stuff that leads to pain and despair. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's why he came. But again and again, people sell themselves short. And they become like Esau. And they become a fool. Remember whenever Nathan confronts David and God said to David, I've given you everything through the prophet. The Lord's given you everything you've asked for. He's not withheld any good thing from you. And if you would have wanted something else, all you had to do was ask for it, and he would have given it to you. Esau comes in. His dad had, I'm sure his dad had servants. His dad had, he could have had whatever he wanted, but he wanted that at that instant, in that moment. He said, I want it now, and he took a hold of it and grabbed it, and he despised what God really had in store for him. Yet again and again, it's hard when I see teenagers, young people who grew up in our church, and I see, because you've been there and I've been there, the world's offering them these things. Oh, this is what'll make you happy. You gotta have this to make you happy. You gotta have this to satisfy you. And again and again, it leads to brokenness and pain and despair and heartache. Again and again. But I'm speaking to some people today that that doesn't have to be your response. You know, I'm so glad. And, and sometimes when I, when I share things, sometimes I've got to be careful of what I say because, you know, I, I so much appreciate what my mom and dad did. They, they taught me from when I was a kid in church. But I know, realize a lot of people come in and they think, well, 
like somehow that, that that person's better because you grew up in church. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It doesn't matter where, where we came from. It doesn't matter about how we started. What matters is how we finish. Amen. Huh? Right. It matters how we finish. It doesn't matter if you've squandered. Listen, you can have squandered 50 years, 60 years, 20 years, 15 years, and God can restore in a moment what the enemy has stolen from you. And that's the work that God is in. God is in a restoring, he's in a restoring work. And so there'll be people who will sit in church and, and here's the reality. The world keeps calling to them, keeps calling. It's men sitting in the church and the world keeps enticing them to go some other direction. Women sitting in the church and, and the world keeps offering them. How about another bowl? How about another bowl? And they sit there and, well, yeah, give me another one. What's it going to cost you this time? I'll worry about it later. It's like people running up their credit card debt. I'll worry about it later. Friend, later comes sometimes. It does. Later comes. There's a day when later is now. It's in this moment. The cool thing is at this very moment in time, you're not there yet. At this moment in time, you live in a period of God's incredible grace and love for you. You and I live in a time whenever God's favor is upon us. And we can stop. We can stop from this moment on and move forward with the things of the Lord. Why? Go back to that verse one more time. For you know that's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. I want you to hear this and we're going to close. The kingdom of heaven is a good buy no matter what you pay for it. I want you to hear me. The kingdom of heaven is a good buy. No matter what time of the year, no matter what stage the market is in, the kingdom of heaven is a great place to invest. No matter how long you have to wait for it, the kingdom is a great place to invest your life. You'll never regret what you have to do to enter into it. Never. There's a lot of other things that you'll sell for, and you'll be like, ah. What a waste. But you'll never regret. You'll never regret what you have to surrender, what you have to give up, what you have to pay to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But for those who refuse, they will regret that forever. For my experience, I was 16 years old. I'd been to a youth convention. I turned my life back over to the Lord. And I made a decision that I'm going to spend my life investing in the kingdom of heaven. I wanted to see people saved. I wanted to see people grow in their relationship with God. 16 years old. I tell you what, in eternity I'll never regret. I will never, ever, ever, ever regret anything that we sacrifice, and we really don't sacrifice. We've been fooled to think that we make a sacrifice. Uh, we exchange something of no value for something of real value. We change counterfeit for something that's authentic. I will never, ever regret making that choice. I do regret sometimes I've sold myself short. I do regret sometimes that I've taken some of those detours that have gotten off track. I regret those. 
But you know what? The mercy of God is new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. There's a couple things the Lord told me. If, if I declare His word, He'll back it up. There's people in this room who God's calling to you. He's so faithful. He's your father. He loves you. He's the best father that's ever existed. He only wants his best for his children. There's people in rooms like this that God's calling you. Again and again, he extends that hand of grace and mercy. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you're away from him. And he wants you to get things right with him today. He'll abundantly pardon. His mercies are new every morning. So we're going to make some decisions today. And I want to pray with you, but I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to ask you to have courage today because it takes courage to follow Jesus. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to encourage you in this. We're going to make a decision and we're going to make it once. It's not hard after you've made a decision once. Everything else lines up after that decision. This is what I'm going to do. And here comes an opportunity. Nah, that's not what I do. I see everything in life through that one decision. You've decided to follow Jesus. You've decided to seek him. So here comes an offer. Nah, no thank you. I've decided to follow him. Here comes a temptation. No thank you. I got something better waiting for me. God has something better in store. So in this room today, I just want to ask you, just bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to ask you this question. Are you here today? I want to talk to people who you'd say, I'm born again, pastor. But there's stuff in this world that keeps pulling at me. I need to raise my hand because I need to bring that into the light. This stuff, I really don't want it, but it keeps pulling at me. It keeps drawing me. Sometimes I go back to it. And I don't want to. But I want to bring it into the light. I want to expose it. I don't want to tell the Lord, by, even by raising my hand, Lord, I'm reaching out to you. I need you to rescue me. I need you to pick me up because if you let me to myself, I'm going to go to ways I don't want to. If that's you, can you just raise your hand. No, it's okay. I'm going to pray for you. Yep. Who else? Yep. 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 All right. Yes, thank you. How about in this room today? This is the most important one. Jesus is calling for you, and he wants you to come home to him. You're not in the right place with him, and you want to commit your life. You want to make the determination today. Pastor Steve, when Mike starts singing that song, I'm going to step out of my pew because we're all going to do it. But I'm going to step out of my pew and I'm making a determination that I'm following Jesus. I'm going to give my life over to him today. If that's you, can I get you to raise your hand? The Holy Spirit's speaking to you. All right, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Would all of you stand with me now? In just a minute, Mike's going to sing. Can I ask all of us to do this? If you want to be a follower of Jesus and you honestly want to serve him with all of your heart, I'm going to invite all of you to just to make your way. As Mike sings this, as Mike sings this in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to make your way. But what I'd like you to do is to consider in your mind as you step out of your pew that it's like the first time that you responded to him. That you're saying, Lord, you know what? That joy comes back in our heart. It comes back. It's renewed. When I say I've decided to follow Jesus, there's no turning back. As you step out of your pew, it's renewing that commitment that, Lord, I'm going to follow you with all of our heart.